Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time, 20-year breast cancer survivor. I'm also a professional speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And hi, I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 22-year survivor. I'm also a certified life coach and the author of my upcoming book, Thriving Beyond Cancer. We're we're the co-founders of Breast Friends, and we have a great, important topic today, Lifelines to Cancer Survival with our guest, Mark Roby. Welcome, Mark. Hi, you guys. How are you doing, Becky and Sharon? Oh, we're doing we're so great. good. Yeah, I got a long weekend coming up. That'll be kind of fun. Yes, indeedy. Yeah. Hey, so, Mark, why don't you take a minute and let's just have you introduce yourself to our audience and maybe tell us a little bit about your story because I know it's a very, very compelling story. So, just just go for it. Tell us tell us what you want us to know. Well, um, I'm a physician's assistant and also a naturopathic uh, uh, physician. Um, and back a long time ago, actually, 2002 in the winter, I was jogging after uh, seeing some patients in the hospital, and I collapsed at the end of that jog. I was about three miles. And um, when I woke up uh, the next morning, they had done a bunch of tests in the emergency room and of a large hospital. And they told me I had cancer all over my liver and all over my lungs. Um, So they said they didn't know where the source was, so they kept me. And then four days later, actually, I think it was December 28th, they did uh, some biopsies. And the next day, the uh, oncologist came in. He said, we've never seen this before. said, you have one of the rarest cancers in the world. Um, It's unresponsive to all known therapy. And they just suggested I go to some other hospitals. Oh dear! So that's Merry how Christmas things started to you, off huh? for me. <laughs> oh dear! Oh my yeah, gosh! So I, I, I went to actually about four cancer centers, pretty large ones, uh, within uh, a couple weeks, and the only thing I got offered was high doses of interferon, which is a drug they use sometimes for cancer, sometimes for liver disease, um, and that was it. Uh, to stave it off, they said I could go into hospice. I had lost a lot of weight, and I was really sick, and I, I didn't realize how sick I was. Um, so then uh, a few weeks into it, three or four weeks, I went down to uh, MD Anderson and they kept me for four or five weeks, and they told me the same things that the Midwestern Cancer Centers told me. But um, what saved my life was I paid a researcher a lot of money, uh, some of my life savings, and he took me to his house for two hours, and he said, you're just going to have to keep yourself alive. And he said... Um, 
if if he were me, he would come up with three contingency plans past what any clinician told me or any treatment plan I was offered by a hospital. He said, always in your pocket. He said, research your tumor, look for the biomarkers, and then come up with three contingency plans. So that so right now I'm on my fourth try at a survival. That's the kind of centerpiece of the book, of the lifelines. Um, so that's, I'm on my fourth triad right now. I'm still on treatment 14 years out. And there's a group of us around the world, maybe 250 people that have this uh, rare cancer. Mm. And I'm probably in the top four or five as far as people that have lasted the longest. Wow. Um, a lot of people in our group have died. And um, so I'm very blessed, you know. I, I had a liver transplant. I got it from Europe. I got a, uh, illegal chemo that my hospitalist, uh, clinicians were giving it to me in their kitchens and living rooms because it was oh illegal my. to give here in the States. Wow. So I've done a lot of things and I'm right now I'm on a targeted agent, uh, a pill, a targeted chemo pill. So Mark, can we back up for just a second? Um, so you were, when we talked in the pre-interview, you shared with me, I believe, that you were given six months to live. Is that correct? When yeah, you were six months from the, from the outset. Six months. Yep. And it's been 14 years. 14 and years, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And then the other thing is, I mean, you were a jogger. You were running. and <laughs> Right. So it just kind of goes to show you that cancer really doesn't care, you know. It, it doesn't no. discriminate. It just kind of goes after whoever it wants to. It's like it's, I don't know. I, I've never it understood that. It has a mind that. of its own, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've never understood yeah. that. You think if you live a healthy lifestyle, you keep your weight down, you do all the things that you're supposed to do, yeah. and then cancer hits you, right? That's so, right. you know, you're living testimony of that and the fact that you didn't give up. And so, you know, let's get right into the the topic today, you came up with this great idea called the top 10 keys to cancer survival. Now, when I heard that, I really didn't know what it meant. But then after having a chance to interview you, um, you've got some great ideas here. So let's just start with kind of the lighter, easier ones. And let's just start at the top about what does this mean to set your intention to survive? I know what it means to me, but let's let's hear what it means to you and how you would equate that to other people. Well, this is something that I don't think a lot of cancer patients think about, or even their clinicians. Um, setting your intention to survive is prioritizing your survival and your tumor, and really guiding the patient to understand that they're the CEO of their health, which, again, mm-hmm. a lot of patients don't realize. So that would mean especially if you had a tough cancer like I did, um, that you've got to start calling out for help in, in a lot of different ways and a lot of different venues. And you've got to prioritize um, what's going on with you. And so in, if you've got an early cancer and the, the chances are you're going to survive and you're going to get rid of it, fine. You don't necessarily need to run around and get uh, five or ten opinions or more like I did. But if you've got a tough cancer, which is an aggressive cancer, uh, if you've got an um, advanced cancer or an unusual cancer like I did, 
you have got to start calling out for help and surrounding yourself with the right people to keep you alive. And this is something that many, many cancer patients don't understand. Well, so and it's all about your, your attitude, too, because from, from your original introduction, you said, you know, your tumors were everywhere in your liver. They were everywhere in your lungs. Yeah. A lot of people who would get a three to six month, you know, diagnosis like that um, would pretty much pack up their tent and go home. I mean, you know, it, it, that's exactly. a really hard, hard diagnosis right from the get-go. And you had no time to get even acclimated to the concept of cancer, let alone how serious your cancer really was. So just the right. fact that you moved forward... Um, is huge and that's that whole your intentions of surviving right exactly i mean the reason i'm alive is because of a lot of other people i had no i didn't know these people so many people came to my aid and i had no clue who they were but i had to find them and i also didn't listen to all the death sentences i got I went all over the country to Boston, to New York, to California, to Texas, all over the place. And I got a similar response at a lot of these places the first year or two. And I just didn't listen to that, to that gloom and doom. And I prayed a lot. And I just kept asking to be guided to the right people. And so you can't, you know, it's not one size fits all. A lot of oncology is one size fits all. But you have to keep searching to find the right people that are going to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's you know, and if, even though, you know, breast cancer and ovarian cancer are not as rare as what you experienced, we have women that, you know, they get some pretty terrible diagnoses as well. And, you know, we always see or encourage them to, you know, not listen to all of that. Just like you're saying, you know, it's, yep. it may be the worst thing possible, but what if they're wrong? You know, what if it's right. that next chemo that they try that just kicks it in the butt, you know, and all of a That's sudden right. they're reversing it. So, you know, never losing hope. And, you know, as a three-time survivor myself, I, I've been, I shouldn't be here. because <laughs> you know, right. I had some right. pretty, pretty progressive cancer going on there, but, um, you know, you just you just don't get. I know that someday maybe cancer will come along and take me, maybe, but not today. And right. you know, that's kind of what we try to encourage people is, you know, it's not taking you today. So today, let's focus on trying to find a solution, find a, you know, don't lose hope. I guess that's the bottom line. Don't lose yeah, hope. So absolutely, right. yeah. You know. So that's that's an important one to remember. I mean, yeah. we always tell our patients that they don't have an expiration date stamped on the bottom of their no. foot. You know, that's right. <laughs> that it God, is important God knows to un- the, all this, but we don't. We don't know. None of us know. Exactly, right. and right. obviously, in my in my belief system, um, you had you had other stuff to do, and this is part of it. You know, teaching other people that they can um, use these ten keys to cancer survival. So that makes total sense. So, Mark, why yeah, don't we go I mean, to the I'm second one? You know, I was saved to 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 be a servant to other people, and that's what I like to do, and that's what I want to do, So, and, and both of you also. 
absolutely absolutely yeah we're not we're not done (laughs) (laughs) not done at all starting to touch on the multiple uh, opinions and that's your second key so i hope people are writing these down and if not maybe we can post your your top 10 list later on on our website but so your first one set your intention to survive second one get multiple opinions how many is too many what do you think Uh, well actually i think i've had over 30 over the past oh. 14 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, your <laughs> so, cancer is very rare, so you probably have to get a bunch because people don't know what they're, what they're really doing yet. <laughs> well, and, and in 14 years, you can imagine what changes have happened in the cancer industry. Right. I mean, you know, even in breast right. cancer that we are more familiar with, there's been huge advances. And so, um, again, in 14 years, Hopefully, there's some better things, better options for you as well. That's right. Um, I think we want to talk about giving people hope. I found that uh, after I got three or four, they were kind of the same. Then I would get one like I did at MD Anderson, and it was completely different when when I worked with that researcher. And then I came back to Michigan, found a few more people that I didn't trust and listened to, and then I might have found one that I did trust and that I work with. So I think that there's a, a number of studies on multiple opinions, and one is out of University of Michigan with breast cancer, with women with advanced breast cancer, and it showed that, I don't have it right in front of me, but it showed that, gosh, maybe 40% or more percent of the time, the treatment plan coming out of U of M was completely different than the treatment plan uh, that they had gotten um, from their previous clinician, Mm -hmm. and that led to longer survival times. Um, So a lot of my patients say, oh, gosh, I don't want to offend my oncologist or I don't want to offend my (laughs) hospital, you know, all this stuff, and... And I was told off the bat, it, uh, the first huge major medical center I went to, which is very prestigious, that all my uh, second opinions would be the same as, as they told me. And that's, that was true maybe for a couple, but not for the rest of them. I, I found out that clinicians on either coast or down uh, south or even in Europe, I got opinions from, you know, Germany and England, and I, I just, it's not true. It's not true that they're going to tell you the same thing. Right, right. Yeah. That makes sense. True occasionally, but it's not, it's not going to be true, um, you know, the, the majority of the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, Mark, well, everybody kind of, has specialties too. So yeah, they do. And Mark, there's kind of a fine line here too about the reason I asked what's too much. You know, we've worked with patients who got their cancer diagnosis and they didn't want to hear what they heard, so they went for a second one who said the same thing. They went for a third one yeah. who said the same thing, and they're basically shopping for a better answer when all the answers are the same. And in the meantime, their cancer is continuing to grow and spread. And so there, you know, we need to be aware of the fact that. Getting a second opinion doesn't necessarily mean shopping until you hear what you want to hear because sometimes the first three, four, five, or six of them are correct. And, you know, I, so there's a kind of a fine line. I don't know how you de- decipher that, but, well, but anyway. Actually, it's, it's in the book, I'm going to uh, 
uh, send both of you the book. Um, in my book, I discuss most patients have a three to four week window, three, four, five weeks, unless, of course, the, they have a huge tumor encroaching upon their heart or a major vessel in their lung, which most patients don't. But most patients have a good uh, three to four to five weeks to get another couple of opinions. And mm-hmm. um, again, if you're fighting for your life like I was and you have a tough cancer, um, if you don't really set up backup plans, which is not kind of the standard in, in oncology, but if you don't look for those backup plans and get an eclectic group of people around you, so many people go down very mm-hmm. quickly. And I, mm-hmm. a lot of people come to see me privately in, in our office. I work for a large um, group here in Michigan. Um, I, I see a lot of people on their last legs. Mm. And a lot of them succumb um, and it, it's it's very serious stuff. So I think safely, most people can get a couple opinions within a three or four week period. Yeah, and that actually yeah, brings us it brings us to your third point, and we actually are going to have to take a break. So we'll just ina- introduce the first point or the third point, which is do not rush into treatment. And I know that there are many of us that you know once you know you're on the right path and you've got the right doctor and you're feeling comfortable, we just want to push forward and get it done. So we're going to actually take a break, Mark, before we jump into that conversation, because I think you probably have more to add to that. So okay. um, while we do, we want people to think about, you know, calling us and talk to Mark and let's kind of share your stories, your um, questions that you have about any of these top points that you've heard so far. Our number is 866-472-5792. And we're going to take a, co- a break. We'll be back in a couple minutes. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health & Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. 
You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about the top 10 keys to cancer survival with Mark Roby. Um, Mark, where we where we left off was talking about not rushing right into treatment. So you kind of said we have, you know, four or five weeks there that we can get our second opinions. Is that kind of what you're talking about there? Exactly. Um a lot uh, for tough cancers. A lot of patients' treatments might uh, work with uh, chemo's, maybe some radiation, maybe surgery, or all of the above, and that's really, really serious stuff. Um, uh, Time magazine had an article uh, about a year ago, and they discussed where only about five percent of American cancer patients got really, truly personalized, targeted care. Um, and so there's a clinician, uh, Dr. Block, um, out of Chicago. He's one of the big wigs with uh, integrative oncology, and he states that many, many, many patients die of the complications of their health care, uh, their cancer treatments, uh, you know, compared to the disease, and so... I warn people, really be careful and get a couple other opinions before you start your treatment, if you can. So Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Absolutely. So let's let's just jump on to number four. Locate and build your inner circle. Tell me tell me about that. Again, this is something that a lot of patients don't do. Your inner circle is um, when you first got the cancer, you would call out. You would try and find a person to do fundraising. Most people, unless you're filthy rich, need fundraising. I, I'm still uh, on treatment. I have enormous medical debt still, and I work. Um, I've been working since the first year I got diagnosed. So... You need fundraising. Uh, you need somebody maybe to take you to chemo. Uh, you need somebody to help you to research your tumor. So oftentimes, as a matter of fact, the hospital or the uh, clinician uh, will not research the, your tumor past a normal pathology report. So um, your dentist could help you, your PCP, your um, family doctor, uh, a nurse, maybe a nurse friend or a nurse in the family, a chiropractor, or even right. a housewife, if they're adept at the Internet, could help you to research your tumor, which is paramount if you've got a tough cancer. So inner circle is really, really important, and my inner circles changed quite a bit over the past 14 years. But this is something that a lot of patients do not do and need to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which then leads me right into your number five, researcher tumor. So um, getting that inner, that inner circle put together so you have somebody who is really an expert of, you know, research and that sort of thing is helpful. Exactly. Um, researching your tumor 
is something that a lot of patients, of course, are not going to be aware of. Most patients get a pathology report from the organ of origin of the cancer. Uh, it's going to tell you uh, what kind of cells are there, what the cells are doing maybe, possibly if the cells are aggressive or non-aggressive. And then they might do a few other tests, uh, maybe one or two uh, genetic tests and uh, other tests. But most people do not have their tumor or their metastasis researched in depth. And that's why oncology is changing now. There's a lot of verbiage out there about personalized cancer care, but a lot of patients aren't getting it. So researching your tumor, one of them could mean biomarkers. When I first got hit, I contacted Dr. Judah Folkman's lab out in Boston at a children's hospital. Dr. Judah Folkman was the oncologist that founded targeted treatments. He, he studied and found out about angiogenesis, which is one of the hallmarks of cancer. Um, there's a paper that came out in 2000 that your patients might want to look up, your breast cancer patients, called The Hallmarks of Cancer. I, I think it's Hanahan and Weinberg. And the Hallmarks of Cancer paper was revised back a few years ago with two or three more hallmarks. And these hallmarks drive all cancers. And so researching your tumor means looking for biomarkers, possibly that your tumor is sending out into the bloodstream, sending your tumor out for a molecular profile, which is a genetic profile, possibly sending it out for a chemosensitivity assay. That's looking in the lab, keeping the tumor alive for a number of days, and testing different agents against the tumor. Most patients are clueless that you can do this. And unfortunately, a lot of hospitals and clinicians do not do these tests. And if you've got a tough cancer, finding out everything you can about your tumor and its biomarkers is imperative. And that's something that patients are not told. Well, and this is just part of that being your own best health advocate. And we really um, encourage the people we work with to, to do just that, you know, and, and you're right. Some people are not capable or, you know, they don't know how to research in this kind of way that you do. I mean, obviously you're, you're a, a doctor yourself, so that kind of helps a little bit, but I think it's important to understand that getting other people in your court to help you do these things is, is one option if you're not really good at them. So, so let's move on to number six, build your triad of survival. What does that mean? Uh, again, the triad of survival is what I was taught uh, back in 2003 when I was down in Texas. It's having three contingency plans on the table at all times. So what you do is you call out for help, you, you get your inner circle, you get your, your doctor or your nurse in the family or your chiropractor or maybe a housewife that's, uh, that you know that has some time, and mm-hmm. you research your tumor, then you start reaching out to find help 
to find backup plans. You can do this through multiple opinions. As a matter of fact, you can get multiple opinions on the phone with different hospitals, including the Cleveland Clinic, which is my second home, um, pretty much, because <laughs> I, I have my yeah. transplant down there. Um, wow. You can even call over to Europe and get opinions, work with your doctor, your oncologist, get opinions on the phone. So this is a new era. I want people to reimagine their cancer survival and work with their inner circle and their doctors to get solid backup plans so they can survive longer. My, my backup plans passed that interferon, which did not work, by the way, and which landed me in the hospital and almost killed me, was uh, Gleevec, which was predicated upon my PATH report. I took Gleevec for three months. That didn't work. I went out to California after that, and I got um, natural IVs of glutathione, of uh, vitamin C, and uh, took lots of supplements for about six weeks. That slowed my tumors down, but it didn't stop them. The third part of my triad was Avastin. Working with Dr. Judah Folkman's group out in um, Boston helped me to see that my tumor was giving off VEGF, which is vascular endothelial growth factor, which is a huge driver of angiogenesis. So Avastin was the last part of my first triad, and that helped kept me alive off and on for, for uh, a couple of years. And so... The triad of survival is something that can help you increase your survival time. And again, yeah. it's not the standard in oncology. So I'm, right. I'm trying but to it's, get it's people, getting better. You know. It's getting better. And I'm so <laughs> glad that we've got like immunotherapy that they're really starting to pay attention more to the, you know, the, the tumor itself. Because you're right. Your tumor, my tumor, Becky's tumor are probably all completely different in their in their um, makeup, in their DNA mm-hmm. makeup. And, and so it is important that we, we really do pay attention to all that and have a plan A, plan B, and plan C, right? <laughs> yeah, and a lot yeah. of times, you I mean, know, when we, work with, when we work with integrative medicine, you know, where we're talking about using other things other than just Western, but combining them, that can be part of that triad too. So you're doing your Western right. medicine, but you're adding nutrition and and other things you know like Sharon mentioned immunotherapy doing all these things to kind of supplement and add to it and make it even better so so that's really good you know before we run out of time in the second segment let's go to your next point um, which was number seven research and start your own anti-cancer diet I like the sound of that what's that mean yeah. well the, the the standard American diet actually is very dangerous especially for cancer patients um, drinking milk, eating dairy products, um, consuming meats like beef, pork, bacon, sausage, um, butter, all those things can drive your inflammatory markers wild and drive the inflammation and drive the cancer. Inflammation is a huge hallmark of cancer. The standard American diet is is toxic and can actually feed the cancer uh, with things like I just talked about, and you can add sugar. There's been a lot of studies on this, what I'm talking about. One of the studies came out of Philadelphia from an oncologist, that's right in my book, discussing a lot of the major cancer centers in the United States and how 
um, their guidelines for cancer treatment and diet were not even similar to each other. Um, wow. There's been many other studies in the New York Times which discuss that around 75-80% of, America, of Americans got under three servings of fruits and vegetables a day. That's mm-hmm. how dire things are out there for diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so again, you know, there are things we, we can take control over, and I think that, that, again, is a great message, understanding that, yes, the doctors are going to do their part, but it's also our responsibility to take our part in it. Boy, that's exactly. hard to hear, though, isn't it? <laughs> I love all those things you just said I shouldn't be eating. <laughs> <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> that makes it tough. It's like, yeah, really? What are we going to do with you guys? Oh, <laughs> that leaves fruits and vegetables, basically, and, and which I like, but I wouldn't want to live on just that, but that's me. <laughs> well, yeah. see, you can, you can learn how to use and work with organic foods, how to make the fruits and vegetables taste good. My wife and I have uh, usually, we try to incorporate fish every week. We have organic chicken or turkey. There's days where we don't eat any meat, but there's many, many healthy proteins in vegetables. And so there's ways that you can eat and not take on a lot of inflammatory foods or toxic uh, drinks, Um, the pH level, just say of pop, is about one and a half. The pH of your blood is about 7.4. That's right in the middle between 1 and 14. So just imagine most pops have a pH of under 2, and that's acid. Acid drives cancer. Inflammation drives cancer. Saturated fats drive, drive cancer. Stress drives cancer. Um, and even they're even suggesting now in certain studies certain chemotherapies uh, that are not working can drive cancer. So that's why I really encourage people to take the bull by the horns and really, really dig down and understand what's going on with their bodies. Yeah, that makes completely uh, very good sense advice. to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what? So you talk about personalized care. What is? Um, I mean, I. I'm sure we can all figure out kind of what that means, but it says seek out personalized care is number eight. So what does that mean to you? Uh, Again, going back to that study from Time Magazine, which I encourage everybody to read, it was March of 2015 called The Cancer Gap. It's a very long article. It discusses personalized care in depth. Personalized care is targeted, customized cancer care, safe, safer than a lot of people are getting, more effective for your tumor. Not somebody else's tumor, but for your tumor. And so I had to struggle and to negotiate and to look all around the country for care like that. And I'm trying to, again, help people reimagine their own cancer survival and get that same type of care. And so that's care predicated upon uh, you can work with your family doctor, you can get inflammatory markers done, Uh, your family doctor can do that, Um, you can work with your oncologist to get biomarkers done on your blood of your cancer, Mm -hmm. 
you can work with your inner circle and your doctor to get a genetic profile of your tumor. So all mm-hmm. of these things can help predicate and drive your treatment for your tumor and hopefully sure. lead to safer, more effective care for you, not for somebody else. Right. You know, right. you bring up a good point, and I think that, you know, things have changed to the point now where I think it used to be or people thought that they had to go travel out of state to do that. Now, maybe in the case of a really rare cancer like yours, that may be the case, but most of the cancer centers that we've been blessed to be able to work with are developing those kinds of protocols where they are doing those tests and you know I don't have to drive more than five miles from my house to get to get what I believe is that kind of care Um, they do all those tumor markers they check everything and it feels very very personalized so I think in the case of breast cancer ovarian cancer all of those which are who we work most mostly with Mm -hmm. those are those are being done here um, through you know Providence Medical Center has a great program Compass on Oncology is a great program. There's just, there's a lot of this that's really developing. So that, that's the good news, that it is becoming right. far, far more personalized and, you know, testing your tumor type to see if chemo is even going to work on it. I mean, those are, those are things that are now becoming standard of care within the breast and, you know, gynecological type cancers. So, so that's all really good news. Um, we are actually going to ha- have to head out for another break. So um, when we come back, we're going to talk about steps 9 and 10, which are pretty um, important steps to take. So in the meantime, please give us a call if you'd like to ask Mark Roby any questions about your particular situation. And otherwise, we will be back in just a few minutes. Give us a call at 866-472-5792. Stay tuned. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show.
Welcome back. We've been talking about the top 10 keys for cancer survival with Mark Roby. Um, let's kind of pick up where we left off. We, we had kind of talked about that personalized care. And so I think we're going to jump right into number nine, ask for God's guidance. Yes, this is something, again, that I think all of us forget pretty much every day <laughs> to do. Um, but I, I credit God, uh, for keeping me alive, uh, and Jesus also, I'm a Christian, but, um, I wouldn't be alive if from the first day I got diagnosed, uh, be, even before I knew what it was, that I didn't get on my knees and pray, um, for guidance for this. I think... Um, I'm a student of the Course in Miracles, and Dr. Jampolsky, he's the founder of Attitudinal Healing out in California, and they break everything down into love and fear, and I think a lot of cancer patients make decisions from a fear base, Um, and if you're going to do that and not go inside and kind of wait for some guidance, Try to think this out. Try to use your intuition a little bit if you're on the fence about some things. I think you can get into big trouble. And I just kept asking two things every day. I I kept asking for God to guide me to people that would lead me towards safety, whatever that meant, and also that I would find people to help myself when I was really sick. And so when I was down at MD Anderson for four weeks, um, Dr. Jampolsky would call me and uh, tell me to get out of bed, and I was really sick, and just go find people to help. So I would wander around the hospital, and I would go outside, bring people, children with cancer, they had masks on. There were hundreds of kids down in MD Anderson with walking around. It looked like a concentration camp because they were deathly ill and they were thin just like I was and they were dying like I was. But I would help them out of their cars and push their, the kids to the clinics with their parents or try to help minister to somebody uh, to give people hope. And that type of thing helped me um, enormously because I just felt like I was doing something. I was too sick to work, but I felt hope, you know, by helping other people. And so yeah, I found out when right my there. wife, yeah, when my during my transplant, I was dying. I was deathly ill. I was in liver failure because the tumors were just taking over my body and my abdomen. Um, my wife couldn't be there all the time. She was a teacher, and she had to come back to Michigan and teach. So the the janitors and the cleaning ladies would minister to me and bring me water and call my family. I mean, all kinds of people came to my aid, and I don't think they just came happenstance. I think everything is a circle. Life is a circle, and I think that human beings always think we know the answer. We don't know the answers. I didn't know the answers. And I still don't know the answers to my survival, but I, I keep asking for guidance and I try to um, help other people in that regard not make bad decisions for themselves when they're dying. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mark, that's that's a, that's, that's a good point. And you know what? One of the things Sharon and I are both also also Christians, and we're believers, and the power of prayer is huge. And I think to ask for guidance is good because you know God has the ability to send people into your life at the exact moment that you need whatever it is yep. that they can provide. And I think that's a really, really important. Um, it's it's almost different than asking for a full healing. It's 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 different than that because, you know, he's going to choose to heal or not. But to yeah, right. ask for guidance is a really specific thing. And I, I think that's um I think that's really powerful. So and well asking, done. and asking to be open to receiving some of those yeah. gifts yeah. because unfortunately yeah. in our society, you know, we we all kind of, you know, are very independent and we can do it all and you know that kind yeah. of thing yeah. and yeah. and right. the reality is when you are diagnosed with something like this you realize very quickly that you can't, but because you haven't chosen to ask for help, you don't know how, you know, and so just to be open to those people to come into your life and bless your life are, that's, that's huge right there, you know, by itself. When we started Breast Friends, we did the same thing. We asked for guidance as we were building our organization and Boy, I'll mm-hmm. tell you, the path just kind of laid right down in front of us. Like, okay, go this way, right. go that way. It's yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. You know what what happens when oh, we believe, yeah. and and also to your point that many people make decisions from a place of fear. That is true, and you know it's yeah. kind of it's sort of that. Well, what if what if I do this and it doesn't work? Well, what if you do that and it does work? You know, <laughs> so yeah. just kind of turning that around and then make your decisions based on on the positive side of things. I don't know. It, it's a it's a tough one. But again, if you are praying for God's guidance, it kind of makes it easier. I know that everybody listening isn't they're not all believers, but um but, but hopefully even but even if, if you if you don't believe in the God that I believe in, um you still most people believe that there's something greater that you know yeah. nature or a higher power or something. Yep. If nothing else, just being able to have kind of those conversations in your head or out loud or with other yeah. people, just to be able to be open to um, receiving those gifts that, that are really there um, for all of us. Um, but a lot of times we do have to ask for them. So. Yeah, we do. Well, so I mean, um, I've, had, I've had women, speaking of your work, and I, I've had many women come in the past 14 years to see me since I got sick and they were deathly afraid of surgery, deathly afraid of chemo, deathly afraid of this and that and they refused conventional help. The majority of those women are gone. They passed on and they went to their graves uh, in fear, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And probably earlier than they needed to. You have to integrate both, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually had one patient that basically she could not imagine her life without breasts, you know, so mm-hmm. she had breast cancer, obviously, and the fact that she would lose her hair because of the first line of chemo that they, they suggest, and mm-hmm. so she basically chose not to do treatment. She kind of woke up, I think, from her drunken haze about a year and a half later and, and decided, oh, I think I will do treatment and she ended up dying without breasts and without hair because she, she chose to long. do it way too long exactly mm-hmm. yeah and mm-hmm. that was like my 
kind of my poster child for what not to do. You know, that, that we yeah. are actually very brave to choose to live, to choose to move on. Right. And to research and to find the answers and be our own health advocate. I think, you know, we're the brave ones. And um, yeah. it's it's tough. You know, nobody nobody really likes to, to have to go through this. But unfortunately, sometimes that is our lot in life. And, you know, we, we need to do that. So interesting, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I think we kind of talked about number 10 a little bit, but let's go over it again just to make sure we've covered all your points. Becoming an expert in your own diagnosis. Uh, yes. Um, you know, doing that thing, I'm, I'm not calling myself an expert in anything, but trying to do that thing has saved my life. Um, one of the things that helped me to do this is I spent hours and hours going to medical school libraries, hospital libraries, the internet, uh, medical magazines, even my consults with different doctors. I would make bullets. I would make bullets out of every opinion. I would post them in my refrigerator. I would make bullets out of my research. I would make bullets for everything, for my diet, for my biomarkers, and I would post them. And then I would make summaries of all the bullets. I would make lists and summaries for different visits, different kinds of research, and that kept me alive. I even had my friends calling me to remind me to research things or to make these lists or keep me on task for my goals. And I think I see every day in the hospitals and in the office where I work how Patients think a hospital is going to save them. They think a pill is going to save them. They think an you know, a clinician is going to save them. And they have to understand that you've got to save yourself. You can't be complacent like a lot of patients are and assume that somebody else knows everything about your illness because it's not true. It's mm-hmm. not true. Nobody knows everything about your tumor. You have to drive the research. You have to drive your inner circle. If you can't, if you're, if you're 80 years old or you're 65 years old and you don't, you're not savvy on the internet uh, and you're tired and you're sick, then get your brother or your sister or a nurse in the family or the chiropractor you go to to help you. But you, if you've got a tough cancer, Trying to do this research and find out everything about your illness can help to save your life. And this is something I don't see too often. I don't see too many patients doing this, and I want Mm -hmm. them to think about it. Excellent. You know, Mark, we actually are getting down to the last bit of this show. So let's, I don't want to run out of time here. Um, we want to ask you a couple more questions and then, but we have to, I need the, the nutshell version <laughs> so we don't run out of time. I want you to be able to talk about your book for a second. Um, but tell us, I know that you are practicing and you're helping cancer patients. What protocols do you use? What kind of cancers do you, are you helping with in your, in your practice? Uh, right now I'm seeing, uh, a couple people with, uh, 
uh, lung cancer, I have a few ladies actually with breast cancer. And by the way, one of the ladies has the same major genetic abnormality uh, that I do and that I'm on treatment for. Uh, she went to a lot of people here in the Midwest are not getting this personalized care that you're talking about out West. Mm-hmm. And so many of my patients um, are not getting the personalized care. They're not getting the molecular profile. So out of our office, we petition certain labs in the country to go into the hospital to get these tumors out of the hospital and be tested. And then we get a, a long report back from maybe Foundation One, which is one of the larger cancer labs in the country, or Caris Life Sciences. That's another huge cancer lab. And that report has all kinds of targeted information about your tumor, not somebody else's, and about clinical trials and about FDA uh, chemos that might work and about advanced chemos that might be off-label. So um, then I make them an anti-cancer diet for their type of tumor. I might send their blood out for biomarkers and inflammatory markers. So I try to work with their clinicians to get these people personalized care. I'm a cancer strategist. That's how I position myself. I call myself a cancer strategist. And well, that's amazing, I might even, yeah. I might yeah. even place these patients in, in, in places all around the country. I've placed patients down in um, Sloan Kettering, uh, the Cleveland Clinic, uh, different places out west. I've worked with doctors at Stanford. So I try to make the phone calls, make the appointments, get all this information to them, to the patient, so they don't have to do this work. And then they can bring it to their doctors and work with their doctors and hospitals. So that's the type of thing I do in the office. Good, good. Hey. Mark, we have, we have literally about... Um, 90 seconds left, so I want you to set your your watch, and I want you to give us a 60 seconds on um, your book and your website. Where can people find more information? What is your website address, and what and the title uh, of your book? How do they buy your book? www.cancerstrategist.com. That's my new website. Okay. I've got three or four okay. websites, but that's the newest okay. one. The okay. book is called Lifelines to Cancer Survival, A New Approach to Personalized Care. What it is... At the end of each chapter, it's got cutting-edge, advanced companies, labs, medical facilities that can help you get this personalized care for you and not somebody else. You can get it on, it's an e-book, you can get it on Kindle, you can get it in Barnes & Noble. A lot of the bookstores might have it, but it's, I've done all the work. It took seven years to write this book, and everything is at your fingertips. You don't have to search anywhere but the book. Good, Wonderful. excellent. Well, thank well, you Mark, so much. We do, we do need to go. Um, we want to thank you for being on the show, and we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope, and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.